This past week, uh, there was an article in the Christian Post and is quoting a professor at Liberty University by the name of Karen Pryor. And Karen Pryor stated the following. She said, in the bleak midwinter is considered by choir masters as the world's greatest Christmas carol. I cannot verify the factuality of that statement. It seems a little bit anecdotal to me. But I'm not a choir master. I'm just a regular person. But I do indeed love this song. In 1872, that poem, which was simply known as A Christmas Carol, was published in Scribbler's Monthly. It was written by one Christina Rossetti. The lyrics of the entire poem, there's about seven verses, are deep and penetrating. But it was when this poem was put to music by Gustav Holst more than 10 years after the death of Rossetti in 1906 that we gained, as the London Telegraph described it, an evocative and exquisitely melancholy carol. In the first stanza, Rossetti uses the the metaphor of winter to create uh, her picture, her her context of the dreary, dreary and desolate world in which she lived. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan, earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Kind of matches a little bit of our weather here today. The next line builds upon this idea that this, this dreariness, this, 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 this kind of gloom of earth only in some ways continues to grow. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long ago. That is the world that she sees Jesus coming into when he was born a couple thousand years prior. And I asked the question this morning, do we ponder enough, do we ponder enough at this season what Jesus left in order to come here to give us so much? We mention it, we talk about him leaving the realms of glory, and we, we, we give uh, uh, lip service to it, but do we really ponder it enough in our hearts? Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 2 talks a little bit about this, and I invite you to turn your Bibles there to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Or Paul discusses in, in, some, in some aspect what Jesus gave up when he came to this bleak midwinter. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, the Bible tells us, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of them, being born in the likeness of you and me. I woke up this morning with some aches and some pains and some, some discomfort. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven to be born in the likeness of you and I. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. From a throne to a cradle, from worshiped and adored to despised and spit upon, from immortality to mortality, from praised to often forgotten and ignored. The manger and the, and the Christmas scene has been, has been sanitized. The story has in some ways been, been beautified. Even, even when we show the, the lowly, humble manger, there's always a soft glow behind it. And it kind of has this warm, comfortable feel. The stars and the angels and, and the beauty of the, the magi and, and these things 
beautify and sanitize the picture, but, but what Jesus stepped into those many, many years ago was in fact bleak. Not just bleak in image, but it was also bleak in the existence. God's, God's people had felt like they had not heard from God for, for years and years and years. They were under the oppression of the Romans. There was a bleak existence surrounding them. In many ways, we would probably look at our world now and we would ponder some of the things that are happening in our world and, and we may say ourselves that, that we are in the midst of a bleak midwinter. It feels like snow upon snow upon snow is falling upon us in a medical, metaphorical sense. But Jesus stepped into that world and he stepped into that world not just out of curiosity to see what was going on, but he stepped into that world out of purpose. The book of Romans tells us that he stepped into this bleakness not for himself, but for us. Romans chapter five, verses six through eight tells us, for while we were still weak, at the right time, while we were still weak, at the exact right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still in the deepest depths of our bleakness, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Jesus stepped into this bleakness to journey even into a deeper bleakness, that utter darkness of death. The understanding of this first stanza, the beautiful hymn, is, is, is the provocation for us to consider our response in the light of the last stanza. When Christina Rossetti wrote this song, she wrote this first stanza, and it's really this, this first stanza, the picture she sets up, the picture she establishes that, that gives us context for the question that was sung, that was just sung so beautifully by our quartet in the last stanza of this hymn. But before we can ponder the last stanza, in light of Jesus' gifts, let's think about, let us think about the reality of Christmas in many ways and in many homes and in many hearts. This year in the United States, the retail industry is reporting that $682 billion will be spent on gifts. $682 billion in the United States alone, let's not even go beyond the United States. Just in the United States, $682 billion will be spent on gifts. That means there is a lot of giving that is going on at Christmas time. The average family spends $906 per year on Christmas gifts. A lot of giving going on at Christmas time. But what else that means? If there's a lot of giving going on, it also means that there is a lot of getting going on. A lot of getting going on. And for many of us, especially when we were younger, and now we are passing on the similar concepts to the next generation, Christmas is primarily about the getting. Let me ask you if this scenario or this conversation is familiar to anyone else from maybe your childhood. I remember as a kid walking through the malls, uh, it was a much more common thing to do now. Now we watch, uh, walk through Amazon uh, on the internet. But, but when I was a kid, and I know it still happens some, but when I was a kid, we walked through the malls and, and you'd see something. For me, it'd often be like a G.I. Joe figurine or a Star Wars character or, or some, some, a set of baseball cards. And, and, and I would say in certain seasons, I would say, Mom, can, I really want that. Can I, can I get that? And, and, and does this phrase sound familiar to you? My mom would say, well, Christmas is coming up. We'll just have to wait and what? See. See. Anyone have that familiar conversation? 
What would that conversation inherently teach me? That this season is for me asking and me getting. Me asking and me getting. Well, eventually we grow up, we become adults, and we realize something. That getting still is going, that giving is still going on, and the receiving is still taking place, and it has to come from somewhere, so it comes from us. Although it may come a little less, as I just pondered for a split second when he said class of 2030, and I thought of Christian education, I was like, I better save a few pennies for that as, as well. But we do the same thing, and we hear our kids say the same statements. My, 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 my sons and I were recently somewhere, and they said, Dad, I want this. And I said, not today. And they asked me, their response was, my middle son, well, what about for Christmas? And I said, well, we'll just have to wait and see. Perpetuating this idea, this direction. Now, let me say this. Giving is the right desire. I hope that in all of our hearts, there's a desire to give to others, to, to share with others, to give and to bless our children, to bless those around us that we love. But, but what I want us to consider today and what I, want us to, what I want to maybe express concern in is not in the spirit of giving, but in the overall primary directional focus of that giving, where we primarily focus our giving. The great author from the book, Adventist Home, wrote this. Brethren and sisters, while you are devising gifts for one another, and, and by the way, she goes on to say that it is good to give gifts to one another at this season and at this time. She, would, she says, I would remind you of our heavenly friend, lest you should be mind, unmindful of his claims. Will he not be pleased if we show that we have not forgotten him? Jesus, the Prince of Life, gave all to bring salvation within our reach. He suffered even unto death that he might give us eternal life. It is through Christ that we receive every blessing. Shall not our heavenly benefactor share in the tokens of our gratitude and love? Come, brethren and sisters, come with your children, even the babes in your arms, and bring your offerings to God according to your ability. Make melody to him in your hearts, and let his praise be upon your lips. Jesus, the majesty of heaven, the royal king of heaven, laid aside his royalty, left his throne of glory, his high command, and came into our bleak midwinter world to bring to fallen man, weakened in a moral power and corrupted by sin, to bring to them aid divine. Parents should keep these things before their children and instruct them line upon line, precept upon precept in their obligation to God, not their primary obligation to each other, to honor and glorify one another by gifts and offerings. Again, if you read that whole section, the instruction is not to stop giving gifts. In fact, again, she encourages us to give gifts to one another. She just says it should not be the primary priority, but rather our directional focus of our giving should begin with what we give to God. We sing, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts, we travel so far, and like the wise men of old, we have the opportunity to offer to God our best gifts, and to show by our offerings, to show by our, by our actions, to show by our, 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 our gifts that we appreciate his gift in the midst of this sinful world. As the quote expresses, in, and more importantly, as the scriptures express, we are not motivated to give because we somehow 
earn favor with God. I know a lot of people this time of year are giving, trying to get it in before December 31 because they want to find some favor with the IRS coming up in, in April, right? We all, many of us do that. We understand that. Well, if you get it in by December 31, while the IRS may bestow some special gift upon you, that's not how God works. God's not saying get it in by this time so that I can give you some gift. No, God doesn't want us to be motivated by that, but rather God is calling us to, to be motivated by what he has already done for us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, the text that Vern read, one of the texts that Vern's read, tells us that, that we love God because of what? Because he first what? Loved us. We love God because he first loved us. In other words, the, the, the compulsion that we have to give should be a compulsion based upon what God has already done for us. What would I give? Why would I give anything to Jesus at Christmas? Well, because he's given so much to me. Every blessing that I have in my life, every gift that I have in my life, every, every, every moment of joy, every, every even moment of trial in which I learn, in which I grow, is, is some opportunity to grow in Jesus because of his love for me. This is a season of remembrance where I remember what Jesus has given to me. Christina Rossetti, she writes this, this poem. She writes this poem back in the, 189, uh, in the, in the uh, early 1890s. And when she writes this poem, she sees a world of decay, or the 1870s, sorry. She sees a world of decay, but it doesn't cause her to lose hope. She doesn't look at the world of decay and say, man, God came into this wasted world, and, 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 and why would he do that? And she doesn't question God. Rather, it compels her to then ask a question. She thinks of Jesus coming into this world and she sees the bleakness of the world and she sees the desolation of the world and she sees the, the challenges and the struggle of the world and it inspires her to, rather than, than, than focusing on that, it inspires her to ask a question of herself. If Jesus would, would leave the glories of heaven and come into this world, she is then inspired to ask the question, what then can I give to him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, she says, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet, what can I give? What can I give? I give him my heart. Now, there could be the misnomer, if we read this, there could be the misnomer that she is placing her gift above that of the wise men or that of the shepherds. The wise men were giving out of their heart. The shepherds were giving out of their heart. If you read some of the other verses, it talks about the animals giving their gifts in their own special way out of their heart and, and Mary giving a kiss uh, to, the, to the baby Jesus, a gift from, from her heart. Everyone was giving something from their heart, but she's saying, I don't have these things that the wise men have or that the shepherds have. She's affirming them in their gifts, but she is recognizing that she has none of these. In fact, if I could take you into her mind potentially for a minute. As I was reading up on this hymn and I was reading about Miss Rossetti, I discovered that she was a very sick uh, she struggled with health issues for all of her life. And, and, and because the time in which she lived, often she would have to be isolated so as not to expose herself to further illnesses. And so she was often isolated and alone. She was also living in a time period where, where women were not educated in the same way that they are now. And so she did not have the education, say, of the wise men. She was living in a time period where a woman like her would not have a business in which she could give some sort of monetary aspect to Jesus, like the shepherds 
who gave their land. She was living in a time period where she did not have what the wise men had. She did not have what the shepherds had. And she says, what can I give? And what she discovered is a deep devotion in her heart. And she gave of that. She gave of her devotion. In fact, in her lifetime, she wrote three collections of religious poetry and four devotional books. This is what she could give. She gave what she had to give, her heart. We all have something to give, no matter what frame we are, whether we're, we're the wealthy like the wise men, whether we have a business like the, the shepherds, or whether we, we really look at it and we say, I don't know what I can give. I liked what Mark said during his children's story. He says, hopefully some of my music has been a gift to God. It's from his heart. Can I ask you this? Have you pondered this season? Have you pondered this season what your gifts are to God? Let me ask you this in this way. Have you, have you pondered the season more than maybe you've pondered the other gifts that you're giving? Has, has your mind been, been more encapsulated or uh, filled with what am I going to buy this person or what am I going to buy that person? Or have you taken the time to really think about what can I give to my Jesus? I know there's probably some of you in here that maybe even this morning you woke up and you thought to yourself, man, I've got to make sure I get out tomorrow because I have not bought my Christmas gifts yet. I'm not ready for Christmas. There might be some of you in here like that right now. Even the way some of you are looking at me, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, way to just stress me out, Pastor. <laughs> maybe you've pondered even how you're going to buy something for those closest to you. Another phrase you might have heard it's so hard to buy for you because everything you want, you bought for yourself already. Some of you may have experienced that. What has been the priority, the, 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 what has been your directional priority in giving? If it has not been well thought out in your mind, what can I give to Jesus? Then can I ask all of us, just in this two days before Christmas, to maybe just take a moment, a time out, and ask the question, what can we give to our Savior? Not because we're earning anything, not because we're earning salvation, not because we're earning favor, but because he has given so much to us already. What do we want to give to him in the next week? What do we want to give to him in the next month? What do we want to give to Jesus in the year 2018? I want to ask you right now to pull out your connection cards. They should be in your bulletin uh, that you have. And normally we don't go through them so closely, but I do want to talk a little bit about this, uh, the connection card today, because I put down some specific areas that I'd like you to consider, and maybe there's other areas in your life that you would like to consider. But I also want to share with you some of the things that God's been laying on my heart. You know, a lot of times I ask you guys to fill out your connection cards, I ask you to respond, and I never tell you what I put on my connection card. So I'm going to tell you a little bit share with you a little bit about what God's laid on my heart as I've thought about what can I give to God. Partly I want to share this with you because if I share it with you, then that gives you permission to hold me accountable. So in a very Jesus-loving way, you can come up and whisper to me, are you actually doing any of these things you say? I give you permission to do that. But, but what can we give to the Lord? Maybe these are some things that can help trigger your thoughts. What can we give to the Lord? What can you give in your faith what can you give in, a, in an aspect that, that will strengthen your faith and that it will be a gift to the Lord? In some recent 
couple, last couple of months, Christina has, has shared with me. She said, you know, what's, what's gotten into you? And that could be a bad question, right? But she says, you seem so much more attentive, which is a good thing, which we won't talk about why I didn't seem attentive before, per se. But I was thinking about it, what, is, what has been going on, and the thing that I came to with, with Christina, as I said to her, as I said, well, my devotional life has been so much better, and then I thought about, well, why has my devotional life been so much better? Every week I've been taking an intentional hour out of the day to go to prayer meeting. It's not something, honestly, I have always consistently done. But for the last several months, that's something I've been doing, and, and the curriculum we're going through in the prayer meeting has a devotional aspect to it, and so I've been more committed to that. And I, I don't look at anything else in my life differently, and I see myself just in that time of, of spending that extra time in, in one of those spiritual disciplines of, of prayer and focus that, that it's, it's a blessing. And I've thought, God, I want to give you more now. I want to I give more time. I'm giving you this hour on, for prayer meeting. I want to give you more in this new year? What is it that God may be calling you to give in relationship to your faith and your faith growth in this new year? In family, what gift could you give in the context of your family? Maybe you as a husband or a wife, what gift could you give in relationship to your family that would, that would be a gift and would be a blessing to the Lord? The thing that God's convicted me on, the thing that I've thought about is that, that Christine and I, we used to pray every single day together. And when I say pray every day together, not just at a meal or at lunchtime or at breakfast time or at dinner time, but, but we'd pray intentionally for each other within our, our marriage. And we get busy. I'm sure some of you have gotten busy and, and you rush out of the house and maybe you don't take that time. And, and God's been convicting me. You know, you need to pray together every day. Just on a totally side tangent, I remember for some of you that are going through times, I remember that when Christine and I were first married, and we're still very different. Uh, those of you that have met us would, can say amen to that. Uh, we're still very different, and we didn't have a, <laughs> we didn't have a lot in common, and uh, we didn't have a ton in common, and we, we had some, some, some times. But I look back on those two years, and two things, I think, held us together. One, we never stopped holding hands when we were driving in the car. That probably isn't as nearly as important as the second one. The second thing is, is even on days that we were not talking to each other, we were still praying together every single day. I think, man, if our marriage is so much better now, I mean, Christine is my greatest advisor and my best friend, and yet God used prayer in such a way then, how much more could he use that in our family now to impact our kids, to impact our, 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 our own relationship, to impact our neighbors? What could God do? If he impacted us in the worst of times in such a profound way, in the best of times, how much more could God do? What are the things that within your family, a gift that you could give to God? What about within your, your finances? What is a gift that you could give to God in this new year? To stretch you, to grow you. To say, God, I want to I give to you in this particular way. Not to earn my salvation, but as a thanksgiving because you have given so much to me. God convicts us consistently of the same thing every year. It's been one of our goals every year to just raise up a little bit more every year, percentage-wise, of what we give. We haven't always been able to do that. Sometimes we've been able to go up a lot, two or 3%. Other times it's like 0.001%. But we want to say, God, what, what more can we give to you? What about with your witness? How is God calling you to be a witness? Not, this isn't maybe law on a large scale, but one-on-one. But -on -one, where could you be a witness as a gift to God in this new year? God, I want to give the gift of my witness to someone else so that they can come to know the God that I love and I cherish. 
I wanna ask you all to pray for us. We're trying to be witnesses within our neighborhood. Christina recently had a group of ladies over to our house and she's trying to make relationships there. And I was like saying, hey, well, if you wanna give them this book, I was already ready to give like some, you know, uh, doctrinal book or whatever. And Christina said, why don't we be friends with them first, Chad? Just, you know, let's just, let's just relax a little bit. The, the, ever the, the evangelist in me, my, like I said, my wife, my counselor. But she but pray for us. How can we be witnesses to our neighbors? We want to be witnesses one-on-one. And finally, in service. Where is God maybe calling you to be in service to him in the church or in the community that actually is far outside what you ever imagine? Maybe God wants you to give a gift that is beyond what you can ever imagine. I read many months ago this quote, and it's been stirring in my heart for months and months and months. It's from Ellen White's book, uh, or the book, the compilation that was put together on the mission to the cities, and it was written in 1910, and she wrote this, when the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be the setting in operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. And I read that, and my heart began to burn about those things with the prayer. I began to think about all of you that live or work in the cities around here, and I said, Jesus, use us, use Spencerville, to reach D.C. Why not? Why can't this church be an impact? What are the gifts that we can give to God as a, as a church, as, as individuals? Lord, what can we give to you? Allow us to be part of your great movement. There may be other areas of your life, but, but faith and family and finances, our one-on-one witness and our, and our global service, What gifts can we give to Jesus in 2018 like never before? What gifts can you give? As you think about your new year, a lot of us will think about and we'll do these little resolutions, but but don't think of it as a resolution. This year I want you to think about it as a gift to Jesus. A lot of times I think about my resolutions, I wanna lose weight, it's about me. I know that honors Jesus to do that or I wanna do this, or I wanna do that. But, but what about this year, a resolution that is not a resolution, but rather you're saying, Jesus, this is my gift to you. Not because I have to earn your love, but because you loved me, because you left the glories of heaven. I wanna give everything to you. As you close out 2017, and as you ponder your gifts for your friends and your family, and maybe even some for yourself, I would ask you to just pause for a moment and say, have I thought enough about the gifts that I wanna give to Jesus? If I'm a shepherd, I'm gonna give him a lamb. If I'm a wise man, I'm gonna do my part, whatever that may be. But I'm for sure gonna give whatever I give. It's gonna be from my heart. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for being the great gift giver. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you that you left the splendor of heaven to come into this bleak midwinter. And we thank you that, Jesus, you still come time and time again. Look at my own son as he was up here on the platform today, and I just thank you for the gifts, gifts that are in my life. Thank you for this church family and the blessing that they are in this community. I thank you for the gifts that they've given in abundance. We think of the kids at Shady Grove and Washington Adventists who have gifts this Christmas because of this church family. I thank you for, for the gifts, the talents that you've given to so many as they, they share the music with us from week to week and bless us in abundance.
Lord, but each one of us sitting out here, we all have gifts to give to you, to share with you. They not, may not be the ones we see or we know about, but Jesus, convict each one of our hearts that we may give to you in abundance, in response to your love and your coming and your salvation. In your name we pray, amen.